following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Well, today we are beginning an Advent series uh, for the month of December, and this is a little different, to be honest with you. This is um, a different approach to Advent in a good way. Uh, but I want to explain just a little bit how this looks in the weeks to come and how today is kind of setting uh, a foundation, laying some groundwork for what we'll be looking at over the next several weeks. We all know about Advent. We all know what that's about. We all know in the month of December we think about, talk about, preach about, sing about the coming of Jesus but I want to get a little bigger picture about that story, that event, that history. Because if we don't understand the foundation behind why Jesus came to earth to begin with, we won't fully appreciate the miracle of the incarnation. And also, as a byproduct of that, if we understand the background and the foundation behind why Jesus came to earth, why that was necessary, why that was always part of God's plan, when we understand the big picture of what the Bible teaches us, we can also be more equipped, more positioned, and frankly more ready to tell somebody about Jesus. We know the Christmas story, don't we? I mean, I, I think we, we look at the tree, we think of candles, we think about everything that surrounds the story, just that individual story of Jesus coming to earth, born in a manger, visited by shepherds and wise men, and uh, the lowly state of His coming. He didn't come in the way that people maybe expected the King to come. He came very humble. Okay, and so when we think about that story, what's the context? I always talk about context being so important to understand in the Scriptures. Well, what's the big picture of the Bible? And so over the next several weeks, we're going to look at four acts to the biblical play, so to speak. The big picture of Scripture. We're going to go from creation to the fall to redemption and to the ultimate restoration that Christ will bring when He comes again. All of those things, those four major movements in the biblical story to help us understand why did Jesus come? Why was that so crucial to the story? And where does it fit in the bigger picture? So today, we're going to go about this a little differently, and we're going to need to look at two different parts of Scripture. So I'll go ahead and tell you, we're going to look briefly in an overview of Luke 24. And after I kind of set a few, um, few things in place with that as a backdrop, we're going to be looking at Genesis 1 and 2 in an overview type of way to see, first of all, what is this big picture of the Bible? How can we understand what the whole Bible says about history and life and and us, and then where does the incarnation of Christ, where does that fit in the big story? And we start with creation. So bear with me as we kind of go through this Luke 24 passage and then transition into the creation narrative in Genesis 
And in preparation for that, just to kind of give you a, a backdrop in, in a, maybe a, a, more, uh, a more explanatory way than I could put it into words, I've got a real short video that I want you to enjoy about this first movement of creation. So just enjoy this video. The story of God in the Bible begins in the beginning God. It begins with God. It begins at a place where we've got to believe in Him. Those great four words, in the beginning, God. He existed before. He always was. He always will be. And then from there, he said, let there be. Let there be light. Let there be. And there was. Out of his word, out of his mouth, he spoke. And everything came into existence. It was God who brought it all into existence by his power. And this is important to understand that it was God who created it. He was the architect. He was the visionary. He was the creator. He is the multiplier. He is the reproducer. He is the sustainer. It is God who is our creator. And as our creator, he put man into the garden. And he said, this is very good. It was the crescendo of his creation. And he made in the image and likeness of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Coming together, they made man and woman and brought them together. And it was this creation then that God in, in his work had authority and dominion. And he gave them the creative works and gave them borrowed dominion in his world. And he had authority over their lives. He could speak to their lives. He could speak what they should do and give them the standards. It was this creative work then that when they disobeyed, God then as creator had a right into their lives. So I hope you heard in that brief message the relationship between God as creator and humanity as creation and the rights the authority that God has in our lives that's going to be so important as we move forward into the message today so before we read there's several parts of scripture I want to read today before we study and put all this together as a foundation for the big picture of scripture let me pray for us, and, uh, and we'll get started. Father, I thank you so much, first of all, that you are God. You have created. You have loved us. You have a relationship with us, and you have authority over us, and you choose to send your Son here into this, into this, this sin-wracked world to bring redemption and restoration. So, Father, as we begin our journey today through the big picture of your word. I pray that you'll give us clarity, give us uh, insight, help us understand how all this fits together, help, help us understand how this is related to you always planning to send Jesus to this earth to save us from our sin. The celebration we have in December as we celebrate the birth of Christ, help us to understand the true, full significance of that. And God, I pray especially today, there's so much in my heart and mind, there's so much I want to say, and I want to say it right, and I want us all to understand, and so Lord, I pray you'll speak, and I pray that uh, we'll hear you and your word, not me and mine. You are the focus of our worship, of our devotion and of our study. So God, I pray you will speak. You will be among us today. And by your spirit, you'll give us understanding. 
for your glory, for our good, and for the good of this world. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Many people know stories from the Bible, but many do not know the story of the Bible. So what I want to do as a foundation today is briefly walk through the story of Luke 24. And this seems kind of backward to me because we're at the first part of Advent. We're leading up to the celebration of the birth of Christ. And yet today I'm sitting here reading a scripture about the resurrection of Christ. Seems kind of backwards, right? But I, I believe as we just see in a, in a brief overview, just a couple of minutes through this story, we'll see the importance of knowing the big picture when we celebrate the birth of Christ. So just to give you a background, here's what's happening in Luke 24. Jesus has been arrested and crucified. He's been in the tomb. The disciples don't know what to do. They're gathered behind closed doors. They're frightened. Jesus appears to two disciples walking from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. It's almost seven miles away. And they're discussing the events of the last three days, trying to make sense of the story of Jesus and everything that happened. So put yourself in that spot for a minute. Have you ever tried to make sense of Jesus? Have you ever wondered about different parts of the story? Have you ever read a passage of Scripture and said, hmm, that's kind of tough. I don't, I don't fully understand that. And just try to make sense of what you read. Well, that's what's happening here. So in verse 13 of Luke 24, here's what happens. The Bible says that two of them, the disciples, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? They stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Okay, Southern translation real quick. You ain't from around here, are you? That's basically what he said. I mean... Seriously? You, you have no idea? I mean, the, everybody knows what just happened, okay? So Jesus is remaining incognito, and then look what Jesus says in verse 19. He said to them, what things? I love that. So ironic. What things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him, now listen to this. This is a key phrase right here. Verse 21. But we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. They were hoping. They weren't sure. They were hoping. Besides all this, indeed, it's the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning, did not find his body. They came saying they had seen also a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. 
And Jesus said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe, and all the prophets have spoken. That's a key, key verse right there. Slow of heart to believe, all the prophets have spoken. In other words, they didn't believe the Bible. Okay, don't miss that. They didn't believe the Bible. That's why they were foolish. Verse 26, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Now here's the, here's the, the granddaddy of them all, verse 27. Then, look where he started, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Boy, that's a, that's a, a jam-packed verse right there. Can you imagine if Jesus was your Sunday school teacher? You'd never have to worry if he got it wrong. Because he wouldn't, ever. It's his word. He wrote it. But I want you to look where Jesus went. See, this, this is Luke's gospel. This means the New Testament has not been written yet. Jesus told these two brothers everything about himself. And where did he go to do that? Moses and all the prophets. You know, the, the, you know what the book of Moses is? The first five books of the Bible. The first five books of the Bible. That's Moses. And all the prophets. You know what that means? That means Jesus just told these two brothers the gospel story and he only used the Old Testament. Please don't miss that. When I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus, where do I typically go as a default? Somewhere in the New Testament. The Roman road, the gospel of John, you know, something like that. 1 Corinthians 15, the first few verses, there, here's the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised again on the third day. I, w I, didn't go to, I wouldn't go necessarily as a default to, well, let's, uh, let's talk about Jesus. Let's turn in your Bibles to Genesis. Okay, that, that's, that's what Jesus did. He talked about himself from the Old Testament. So what does that tell us sitting here today in 2019? It tells us there's not a, a book or a chapter or a verse in Scripture that's not related to Jesus Christ. This whole book is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's about the background before He came. It's about the people looking forward to Him coming. Then it's about him actually physically coming in the form of humanity. Then it's about him dying, rising again. Then it's about him ascending. Then it's about everybody looking forward to him coming back. It's all about Jesus. Every bit of it. And Jesus used the Old Testament scriptures to explain that to these two brothers walking on this road. So here's something I want to just, just help us understand. Christ was the substance of every Old Testament sacrifice ordained in the law of Moses. Christ was the true deliverer and the king of whom all the judges and deliverers in Jewish history were types. Christ was the coming prophet that was greater than Moses, whose glorious advent filled the pages of prophets. Christ was the true seed of the woman who was to bruise the head of the serpent, the true Shiloh to whom the people were to be gathered, 
the true scapegoat, the true bronze serpent in the wilderness, the true lamb to which every daily offering pointed, the true high priest of whom every descendant of Aaron was a figure. These things are something like them, we don't need to doubt, were some of the things that our Lord explained on the way to Emmaus. So let it be a settled principle in our minds. When we read the Bible, Christ is the central figure of the whole book. As long as we keep Him in view, we shall never greatly err in our search for spiritual knowledge. But, once losing sight of Christ we shall find the whole Bible dark and full of difficulty. The key of Bible knowledge is Jesus Christ. That was a quote from a pastor named J.C. Ryle written a few hundred years ago about this passage in the Gospel of Luke. So why do I share that before we talk about creation for a few minutes? Here's why. Every one of us has a way, a framework, a, a, a view through which we see the world and everything about it. People call that a world view. Every one of us has one, even if we don't call it a certain thing. We have a world view. We have a filter through which we see the world and everything that happens in it. So here's my plea from Scripture, from creation, preparing to celebrate the coming and birth of Christ, we, if we profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, we must interpret the world and everything in it through the lens of God's Word. We have to understand and interpret everything that happens in terms of of the Bible. That means we can't afford to let our emotions or our logic or our reasoning or anything like that that's man-made override what God says about the world. Does that make sense? God doesn't make a mistake. He didn't make one when He inspired this Word. He hadn't made one yet. Not going to make one. God is different than every human being that has ever existed. You know why? Because He created every human being that's ever existed. God is the Creator. We are creation, which means in respect to God, He has a very unique, distinct relationship with His creation. He has 100% complete authority over us. He gets to tell us how things are. I remember, and I have this Rolodex of, of movie lines just floating through my head. And every time I say something or I'm in a certain circumstance, it's like it's flooded with all these different movie lines that I've seen over the last 30 years. And I just thought of one. I don't even know where it's from. I don't even know what movie it was. But I remember two guys having a, a debate, a conversation, and one guy was disagreeing with the other guy. And the guy behind the, the desk was just sitting there all calm. And I just pictured it as, as we talk about God and His authority over us. And the, the other gentleman said, 
Are you trying to be difficult? Are you trying to argue with me? And the response was, I'm just telling you how it is. You know, that kind of that suits me when I talk about the Bible because, you know, I, I can't, I'm going to just tell you, tell you the truth. I've been, I've taken a lot of classes. I've read a lot of books. I've written a lot of papers. I've written a book. I've, I've, done all, I've made my brain hurt with all the studying I've done of Scripture and things related to Scripture. And guess what? There's plenty of things in this book that I cannot explain and don't fully understand. And, and guess what else? Here's, here's the important part. That has not one thing to do with whether or not it's true. Did you hear me? If you don't understand something in the Bible, if, you're, if you have to grapple with, a, with a, a, a passage of Scripture, you have to struggle with it and try, and try to really figure it out and, and pray that God will give you some insight and give you some understanding, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's not a reason to be discouraged. That's a reason to rejoice. Because here's what it reminds us every time that happens. I'm not God, but I know Him. And he knows. And that's all that matters. I can trust the one who does know. I can trust the one to whom all this makes perfect sense. Who understands everything he inspired to be written. Who ordained history and future events and, and my life and, and everything that's around me. God created it. Now, if I know that, don't you think that gives me a different perspective when I look at this tree and I think, you know, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus and I don't know that I can comprehend every little detail that surrounds that historical event, but I know it had tremendous purpose and consequences for me. There was a purpose that, for which God sent Jesus Christ into this world. A definitive purpose. God doesn't do things on accident, and He doesn't do things without particular plans in place. So let's talk about why Jesus came in the context of creation. Because what we know about creation, let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis the very first page of your Bible as we finish up today. Because we, we know the creation story, I think. We know uh, if you've been in, in Sunday school or Bible school or ever been in a church service or been around the Bible at all, opened it up and read it. Typically when you open a book, you might turn to the first page, kind of see what's going on, see if it's going to grab your attention, see if it's a page turner, so to speak. Well, one thing that was emphasized in that short video we watched at the beginning of the service, beginning of the message, was the first verse in Genesis. Genesis 1.1. Probably a verse that many, if not all of us, could quote because it's so well known. In the beginning, what? God created what? Heavens and the earth, right? Everybody knows it. Do you know what's missing from that? Do you know what's not in the very first chapter and verse of the Bible? 
there's not a detailed argument for the existence of God. Did you notice that? You know how the Bible begins? In the beginning, God. God did some things. Not, before there was time, there was this being, and here's how we know he really is, is in existence. Here's how we know God's a real thing, real person. No. Nope. In the beginning, God created. You know what that means? That means God always was, always will be. Because he created. That means for me to look in the Word and to think, I, I should really question that. I should really question whether or not God really does exist. That seems a little bit odd, doesn't it? Considering how he created me. And me as his created being should look back and question something he did when he's in authority over me. So let's, let's revisit this story real quickly. Because chapter 1 is all about each day of creation. just want to kind of get it back in our minds before we conclude with the relationship of Christ to the creation event. There were six days of creation, then a seventh day of rest. So from Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 2-3 you see a catalog of six days of creation and a day of rest. Each day is very specific. Each day has a purpose. It's very orderly. We're not going to get into a, a big philosophical argument today about, well, were they 24-hour days? Or did they each day represent an age in history? Or, you know, was it, was it really day and night? I mean, like the Bible says, I mean, we're not going to talk about that today. You know why? Because I don't understand it. And you know what else? We could talk about it for the whole week and not come to a conclusion that we know for sure is true. All we know is God created some stuff and the Bible tells us how and what he created. Okay? So each day ends the same way. God says, like in verse 5, there was evening, there was morning, the first day or one day. Then, when you read a little bit further, after he created some other things, in verse 8, there was evening, there was morning, a second day. Then God created some more things and arranged some things. And then you see that he sees it was good in verse 12. God saw that it was good. And then verse 13 says there was evening, there was morning, a third day. Then, following that, there's lights, there's a great light, there's a, a lesser light, he, the sun, the moon, the stars... And God placed them, look at verse 17, God placed them in the expanse of the heavens. God saw that it was good, verse 18, and then verse 19 says there was evening, morning, a fourth day. So you see God is creating everything from nothing. He's creating all that exists. He creates animals, plants, birds, every, everything you, you continue to read through the account. He gets to verse 23. There was evening and morning, a fifth day. Verse 24. The earth is bringing forth living creatures. There's cattle. There's creeping things, beasts of the earth. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth and the cattle and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And then God saw that it was good. Now, in verse 26 we reach a crescendo because that's day number six. 
And I want you to see what God does when it comes to humanity. Then God said, let us. By the way, that's a masculine plural pronoun. God said, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the surface of all the earth, every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the sky, to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I've given them every green plant for food, and it was so. Now look at verse 31 very closely. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts. And by the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. God blessed the seventh day then and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Did God rest because he was tired? No. God rested, one, because he was finished, and two, to give us an example to set a pattern for us because he's good and he knows what his creation needs. So God created, and I want you to see a couple little things here before we conclude. In the very first verse of day six, Verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. What is the very first thing God says about man as he is creating us? Let them rule. Let them rule. Now, there's a lot we can say, there's a lot we can say about all of this. Okay, This is meant to be an overview. We, we could spend weeks in this one chapter, okay? So understand that. But, but here's what I want to concentrate on as it relates to Jesus coming to this earth. We have authority. We have responsibility. We have stewardship. That means we are managers of everything God created because, because God gave it to us. We do not have authority on our own. We have what God gave us. Because God looked at us as he's creating us and he said, let them rule. Who has ultimate authority? God. He has delegated some authority to us. So he, he says immediately, let them rule. And with 
with authority comes responsibility. God created man in his own image. Why did Jesus come the way he did? To identify with his creation. God created male and female. Why did he do that? Well, you ask people in our culture today, you might get some different answers. God created male and female because God knows what's best. God knows how his creation is meant and designed to work. God blessed them, that's us. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. So what's our purpose? This is God's story of creation. We see who God is. We see what kind of God he is. We see some characteristics about God. He's wise. He's faithful. He's true. He's all-knowing, all-powerful. He's good. He's kind. He's just and merciful and gracious. He's patient. He's self-sufficient. He's infinite. He's impartial. He's pure. He's peaceful, comforting, almighty, strong. God created everything that exists, and when it was created, there was perfect harmony in every sense of the word, in every relationship. Harmony between Adam and Eve Harmony between Adam, Eve, and creation. Harmony between Adam, Eve, and God. It was a perfect picture. God's purpose in the beginning was to create a world where he would live in perfect intimacy with all mankind. Adam and Eve and their offspring would fill the earth with people who would worship and obey their wonderful creator forever in perfect peace. That sounds really good, doesn't it? Where we exist in a perfect world that has perfect harmony with God and with one another, where we can worship and obey God without fear of any consequence ever. Perfect peace. All those things would be ours in God's original plan of creation. And as unfortunately we will see next week, that is not how things stayed because chapter 2 of Genesis zeroes in on that day of creation day 6 where God created humanity and we see a, a closer zoomed in view of that and by the time we get to Genesis 2.25 everything is still perfect from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2 it's all perfect everything is exactly as it should be so what does that have to do with Jesus? What does that have to do with us and how we celebrate the coming of Jesus? What is so significant with regard to creation about the coming of Jesus? Well, when Jesus came, he was on a mission. And so we can't fully understand. Listen to what I'm about to say. We know why Jesus came, don't we? Does anybody, has anybody ever heard of John 3.16? You know why Jesus came to this earth. To save sinners. That's why he came to this earth. 
Well, let me ask you an important question. Why are we sinners? Why did Jesus have to come to this earth? You see, everything we've talked about in Genesis 1 and 2, there was a refrain after every creative day. You know what it was? God saw that it was good. After day six, after we got on the scene, or Adam and Eve, God saw all he had made, and it was very good. Folks, if we don't completely and fully grasp how good God is and how good God's creation was and was meant to be, we will never fully appreciate the amazing gift that came on Christmas. Until we see the heights from which we fell, we can't understand sin. We can't understand the fall next Sunday when we study. We can't, we can't fully grasp that depth of sinfulness until we see how perfect and good God's creation was meant to be. We have to start with creation. Before we talk about why Jesus came and what he came to fix, we have to understand why there was a problem to begin with. God created everything very good. Very good. Perfect, in fact. Perfect harmony everywhere you look. And that's not what we're living in now. That's not what happened as a result of the fall in Genesis 3 that we're going to see next Sunday. So I want to leave us with this particular quote. There's a great book by D.A. Carson called The God Who Is There, Finding Your Place in God's Story. So let me just close with this, with this short passage and that will hopefully help us understand our relationship to God, our relationship to Christmas and the celebration we, we participate in and our relationship to creation why should I obey God? if he wants to take me in directions that I do not like who is he to tell me what to do? Surely I am free to choose other gods or to invent my own. I can belt out that popular song, I did it my way. Who is he to boss me around? Unless he made me. Unless he designed me. In that case, I owe him everything life and breath and everything else such that if I do not see in that way then I'm out of line with my maker I'm out of line with the one who designed me and with what I'm designed by God himself to be I'm fighting against myself as well as uh, against the God who made me 
all of human accountability and responsibility before God is grounded in the first instance in creation. He made us and we owe Him. If we do not recognize this simple truth, then according to the Bible, that blindness is itself a mark of how alienated from Him we actually are. It's for our good that we recognize it, not because He is the supreme bully, but because without Him, we wouldn't even be here. And we will certainly have to give an account to Him. God created. God spoke. Let there be. And there was. There is nobody like that in all the earth. So when we look at that tree, we think about what it signifies and why we celebrate. We need to understand who made that possible. A good God with good intentions who loves you very much. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org. 